Hebrews 12, verses uh, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if you would uh, take a moment and bow with me in prayer as we prepare to get into God's word. Lord, as uh, we recall that passage from 1 Peter 2 that we read together in the time of confession, that we have been called by you as a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession. Lord, you have shaped us individually and you have shaped us as a church by your word. Especially, Lord, as we see in your word the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, all of us in this room have need of the truth of scripture. All of us in this room are in need of your grace. So we unite our hearts to call upon you, Lord Jesus, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, from where you pour out your spirit on your church. We come before you with thanksgiving for the many ways that you have done that, and we ask that even this morning in these moments, you would do it again. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, I mentioned a moment ago that when we have our anniversary, we have celebration, we have appreciation, but there's a third word, a third goal of this morning. And the word we use for that is aspiration, aspiration. In other words, we wanna, we wanna challenge our hearts to aspire to follow Jesus and to aspire to grow in our faith. We wanna aspire for something as individuals and as a church. I can think of no other, no better passage of scripture than Hebrews 12, one and two, which talks about running this race with a great cloud of witnesses around us and fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can you think of any message more helpful, more valuable, more important for your life this morning than Hebrews 12, one and two, or more important for the future of Lake Baldwin Church? I can't. And I am so grateful that we can get a few minutes together this morning to break bread together, to break out this passage of scripture and let these verses feed our souls. The title of the sermon is Among Heroes. I wanna let you know a little bit of a background of where that title comes from. Back in 1971, I lived in the city of Alexandria, Virginia. I was a senior in high school. Uh, my dad worked in Washington, D.C., and our country was going through some challenging times as it is today. But back in 1971 in Alexandria, Virginia, a decision was made 
to desegregate the public schools. Now here's what that meant. We had one school that was a predominantly black high school. We had another school that was a predominantly white high school. And then we had a third high school that was pretty, pretty balanced in its makeup. And so this decision was made to desegregate. So here's the approach that was taken. All of the juniors and seniors from all three high schools would go to one high school. The name of that high school was T.C. Williams. They would all go to that high school. What that would mean, for example, for football season, is you would have a football team made up of the best athletes from all three high schools. It would also be a football team of people that were former rivals, and there would also be the racial dynamics that were going on as all of these people came together. And so there was a man by the name of Coach Boone who uh, became the coach of that team. There was Coach Yost who became the assistant coach. And uh, you have probably guessed by now that that true story, a, a movie was produced about the story and the name of the movie is Remember the Titans. That movie is worth listening to if only for the soundtrack of 1970s music. It was just a, a great movie in every sense of the world. Coach Boone was played by Denzel Washington. Then you had Coach Yost. The reason I share that story with you is, as I mentioned, I was in Alexandria at that time. My high school was one of those high schools. And I actually, uh, I was not a football star. I was a, I guess you could say a track star. I did track and cross country. Not as famous, not as cool. But I was in the varsity club. So I knew the people. I, was, uh, I knew Coach Yost, for example, who became the assistant coach. I, was, I knew Gary Bertier, who was one of the football players, one of the stars of the movie, actually ended up having an accident with his Camaro. That was a, that was a true story. And when the movie was released, and I don't know whether it was in the 90s or the 2000s or, or when the movie actually came out, but I remember going to the theater and watching that movie and becoming so emotional and weepy about those experiences because I was there and I lived it. But what I didn't realize when I was at the time was that I was among heroes. I knew Coach Yost. I knew Gary Bertier. <clears throat> I was among the people that would be a part <clears throat> not only of a winning football team for the state championship of Virginia that year, but also people that were involved in uh, deeper matters of getting all these people to work together. It is an amazing movie based upon a true story. And I actually had the opportunity to know those people and to live it. So I did not realize that when I was a high school senior and then the year after I graduated when those events occurred that I was, a, I was among heroes. This passage from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a passage that reminds you and reminds me that right now we are among heroes. Now, we might not realize it until the movie is played in heaven. One day, we're all going to go and we're going to go to glory and we're going to be there. And there is going to be an amazing movie that is produced about the story of God and the story of grace and the story of redemption and the story of your life and the story of Lake Baldwin Church. There will be a movie. And we'll be able to look back on it. We'll go, wow, I had no idea 
that Lake Baldwin Church had all those volunteers. I had no idea about the stories and the changed lives. I had no idea that I was among heroes. Well, this passage of scripture is about some of the heroes that we are among today. So we're gonna break it up into three really simple parts that you can remember and take with you. First of all, it talks about those heroes, the heroes of the past. Secondly, it talks about these heroes, the heroes of today, the heroes and the people of faith. And then thirdly, it talks about that hero, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're gonna, we're gonna follow that outline. Those heroes, these heroes, and that hero. Let's begin by talking about those heroes. I want you to take a look back at Hebrews 12:1, right there in your bulletin. There's only a couple of verses there. But I want you to notice what it says because it applies to you and it applies to me because he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, and then it says what we're supposed to do. It says in this passage that you and I are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What is that talking about? Well, the word cloud means something else today, but this great cloud of witnesses that was like, that encircled the people of God, that is referring to the people in Hebrews chapter 11. So all of January, five Sundays, we walked through Hebrews 11. We talked about Abraham and Moses and, and Gideon and all these different people. Those were the heroes of the faith. That is God's faith hall of fame, and that's what we've been talking about the last five weeks. So we come to Hebrews 12, 1, and the writer says, therefore, in other words, in light of what you've just heard, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The image here is of a stadium. The image here is of people that have already run the race before us and they have finished the race and they have passed the baton to us and they are cheering for us. We are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. We are among heroes, these people that have gone before us. In fact, I think it's more than just the, uh, the, the people of God in Hebrews chapter 11. It's also the people that have gone before us, the great saints throughout the years. Uh, Sharif mentioned that this Thursday night we have beer with dead guys. So that refers to, it's not a guys meeting. Guys and girls can come, all ages. It's a great time. It's really a sneaky way to get people to learn about church history. So we're gonna learn about creeds and confessions and people throughout church history, but these are part of the great cloud of witnesses and we wanna learn from them. So why is this an encouragement there's, that there's this great cloud of witnesses? Well, I would say two things. Number one, when you read Old Testament stories about Abraham, about Moses, about Abel, about Noah, about David, when you read those old stories, we are encouraged by their life of faith. We learn from them. That's what, that's what we were doing throughout the month of January. And that's why the Old Testament, you guys, is so important for us. Why we need to dig into those stories and learn all those stories. And that's why on a regular rotation, we teach the Old Testament in this church because they're part of that great cloud of witnesses and we need to know about them. But the second thing I think that encourages us about this is not just that their stories speak to us, 
but it's that realization that we are surrounded by them right now, that, there's, that, these, that these, those that have gone before us are part of that cheering section in the stands. You know, that's, that's really meaningful to me as I think about my life. I became a Christian at the age of 17. And uh, my mom and dad, uh, as far as I know, were not believers at the time. I've shared before that my mom came to faith in Christ right before she died of cancer on Christmas Eve of 1982. And so it was always interesting because my, the faith that was growing inside of me that was so meaningful to me and the work that I was doing, uh, my parents didn't fully understand that. I mean, they trusted me and didn't think it was that weird, but they didn't really get the full story of what their son was involved in doing. And so I've always thought about that with my mom uh, dying, with my dad died, he died in 1987. I could just picture my, mo my mom, if you will, finishing the race. Now she did not start the race until the day before she died. So very short race for my mom, but I can picture her. The Bible says that when people who are people of faith die, they go into the presence of Christ. It's an amazing thing. And I can just sort of picture her just going up into the stands and she's able to see the movie. She's able to, I don't know, I could almost picture talking to John Calvin or whoever and says, Mrs. say, Mrs. Tilly, this is what your son's involved with. That's very meaningful to me. When we all get to heaven, we're gonna, we're gonna be able to appreciate the work of God in the world. We're gonna appreciate the work of redemption. We're gonna see it from heaven's perspective. So that's the first thing you need to know, and I want you to remember this this morning, that you are among heroes, and therefore, keep running the race that God has for you. Let's go on to the second point in the outline. The first point in the outline is that, is talking about those heroes were surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. But I wanna talk now, secondly, about these heroes these heroes. Now look at what he says at the end of verse one in the second part of it. He says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These heroes, who are we talking about? We're talking about you and me. We're talking about people today who have the same calling of living by faith. That's why Hebrews 11 is there because we are being challenged in Hebrews 11 to also live a life of faith. Now what you notice in this passage back in those days, like we have the Olympics that's going on right now in Beijing, you have the Winter Games. Well, they would have their Summer Olympics, they would have their Olympic events throughout the Greco-Roman world and uh, you would have, so a lot of times in the Bible, the biblical writers will use Olympic events like races to illustrate the Christian life. And so what he does in Hebrews 12 verse one here, when he says, let us run the race that is set before us, we have this image of all these people in the stands and he's saying that we are to run the race that is set before us. Now what is that race talking about? When the Bible says that you and I are to run with endurance the race that is set before us, what is that race? I had someone ask me just this past week, Mike, what does it mean to live the Christian life? Well, 
The race that the Bible talks about, just like any race, has three phases to it. One is that the starting gun goes off and you begin the race. So everyone in this room who has put their faith in Christ, there was a beginning point to your race, and when that race began, it's when you put your faith in Christ and you experience salvation for the first time in your life. Some of you that happened as children, some of you that happened as adults, but the starting gun went off. Then it's the race itself, and it says we're to run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. The Christian life is a marathon. So we have the race itself, and then we have the finish of the race, we have the finish line when we are ushered into the presence of God. And all of us in this room are part of that race and we are running it together and we are among other people that are running the race. We are among heroes and among people of faith. Here's another way of looking at it. The Bible teaches that all of us in this room, if we're followers of Christ, have three callings. One, the calling to salvation. Secondly, the calling to sanctification or to spiritual growth, the pursuit of holiness. And third, the calling to service. So when you think about your life, when you think about your race, think about that. Think about God's call on your life to salvation when you responded to the gospel by repentance and faith but also the call on your life for spiritual growth or for sanctification, that's part of your race, and also the call to service to be involved in God's mission. So all the volunteers that I introduced in here and all of you in various ways, God has entrusted you with spiritual gifts and you have been called to serve as part of the mission of God and the world. That is a radical view of church, but that's what the Bible says the church is. That is what we are called to do. So how do we run this race? We've defined the race, remember? A beginning, the race itself and the end. It's the calling to salvation, sanctification, and to service. How do we run the race? Well, there are two things that we want to notice in this passage because if, if you and I are going to participate in this race, we need to respond to the challenge of this passage. So the first thing it says in there, you'll notice, or that we'll talk about right now, is that we are to, to it talks about the issue of sin, and it says we are to put aside the sin which clings so closely to us. Put aside the sin that clings so closely. Now, when you're running a race, as I mentioned, you might not believe it, I was a runner in high school, but the whole idea was to not get tripped up, whether it's cross country or running the mile run or any kind of a race, to not be tripped up by things. And so what the Bible teaches that is that in the race of the Christian life, you can be tripped up by sin. Other older translations refer to this as besetting sins. In other words, we all have certain sins to which we are especially vulnerable and that keep coming back to us, these, these besetting sins. And it's good to know what your besetting sins are. In other words, where are you most at risk of being tripped up in your Christian life? Now, if you think, Mike, I, I don't like all this talk about sin. I mean, gosh, why does this church talk about sin? Can't we just all do what we want? Here's what you need to know about sin. Sin is not good for you. It is not good for your race. Sin is destructive and it hurts you. For example, in the Old Testament, King David was going strong in his life. He was growing strong in his race. He was involved in the race 
of salvation and sanctification and service. And his service was to be, the, to be the greatest king of Israel. But then one day, rather than fulfilling his mission and going out to war, he goes out on his balcony and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba and he compromises his faith. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and then he has her husband killed in battle. So you talk about, the, the, about sin and how, and what happened was David's life was thrown off course, his family was thrown off course, his kingdom was, flown, was thrown off course. Do you see how sin is destructive? Just this past week, the president of a major media company had an undisclosed relationship with an office worker and ended up having to resign his job. A very, very famous person but he was tangled up. Now, I'm not saying he was running the race of faith. I don't know anything about his life. But I guarantee you what has happened to him is not what he had hoped for. It is not what he had planned for. But what happened is sin can easily get its hold of you and it can tangle you up. And it can be big things or it can be little things. Just a couple weeks ago, Molly and I were about ready to sit down for dinner. And Molly was making um, a fish soup and had scallops and shrimp and all this really delicious stuff in this soup. She was so proud of it. I put out three candles on our kitchen table, gonna dim the lights, have the candles, have a little wine together, have some soup. And right at that moment, Molly had taken one of our bowls and she had ladled a bunch of soup into it and she was facing the stove. And for some reason, I started walking towards her and at that very moment, she turned around and the bowl hit, hit me. And the soup spilled on me and it spilled on the ground. I cannot believe she did that to me. No, so what happened at that moment is both Molly and I thought, it is the other person's fault. I can't believe you did that. And it was about ready to totally knock us off course for our evening. And because what would happen is this anger comes up, this tendency to blame comes up, this, this, uh, this tendency to justify ourselves comes up. And I remember we talked about it later. First thing I said was, Molly, nobody's to blame. And she took it, it was great. Because I think you wanted to blame me. I think you did. I don't know if I should say that. But I think <laughs> you wanted to blame me. And, and I was blaming her. But um, you guys, that kind of thing can trigger an explosion in our marriage. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Just that little thing, like I can't believe you did that. And, uh, but Molly said something interesting a little bit later on. Here's what she said. This was really cool. Because sin can be destructive. It can knock us off course. And Molly said something interesting later. She said this. She says, I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit. She says, she says I feel like we were restrained from our anger by the Holy Spirit. And see, that's the beautiful thing. The Bible says that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, he's at the right hand of the Father. He gives us the power of the Spirit. Now, believe, just want to let, just so you know, there's plenty of other times where we, both of us probably ignored the Holy Spirit and went ahead and went into all-out war with each other. But that would be a different conversation. But I'm just saying that sin can be destructive. So I want to ask you, what is your besetting sin? What is it, you know, is it the same sin that David had? Is it greed? You know, it says in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Do you know that greed is destructive to your soul and it can tangle you up in the race? 
Here's another one. What about self-righteousness? Have you noticed how self-righteousness can get you all tangled up in the race and mess up your relationships with other people? Here's another one. What about pride? Have you noticed how pride gets you in trouble in your relationships and in your life? There's all kinds of things. I don't know what it might be for you, but the Bible says that in the race, one of the things we need to regularly do is watch out for the sin that can tangle us up in the race. So that's the first thing about running the race. Now, he does say one more thing uh, that I think is really, really interesting about running the race. He says, it's not, it's not just the sin, but he says, you, in your race, he says, you need to also, he says, lay aside every weight, lay aside every weight. What that's referring to, and it's sometimes translated an encumbrance, lay aside every encumbrance. Now, when I used to run the mile run, you would want to be as light as possible. Your running shorts, your shirt, your socks, everything, your shoes had to be as light as possible because if you have an encumbrance, it slows you down in the race. So in this passage, when it refers to an encumbrance, when it refers to a weight, it's not necessarily talking about things that are sinful, but these are things that can slow you down and hinder you in the race. Now, I've got a, a hypothesis I wanna share with you about this. I believe that those of us living in central Florida are at risk from these weights and encumbrances that are taking us off course. Some of us are being taken off course and drifting in our Christian life and we know we haven't fallen into sin, we haven't committed adultery, haven't lost our temper too often, uh, you know, we're not stealing, we're, you know, all those types of things, and so, hey, I'm cool. But what we're missing is the fact that there is something that is holding us back. There is an encumbrance. There is a way that we have compromised. I'll give you an example. I heard a guy preach on this one time, and uh, I thought it was really good. I thought it was pretty vulnerable of him. This is a guy that loves to watch golf. And he said for him, the encumbrance was, now watching golf is not a sin, is it? It's not a give, not a sin. So this guy would, but what he noticed he was doing, he's watching golf all weekend. And so he realized that that had become an encumbrance for him. And then, uh, so nothing against golf. I love watching golf too. Uh, another person told me social media. Now, I'll let you know social media doesn't affect me in any way. I can quit any time. It's not a problem. But, but this guy was saying, well, I can't do social media because I know how it, affects me. Now, just so you know, I don't believe that that warning about social media applies to Wordle. You don't know what Wordle is? I don't think it applies to Wordle. Like, I think Wordle is, is a really appropriate good thing. I am not going to be the first pastor in America that's going to condemn Wordle. That's not, I'm not doing that today. So far, it's still cool. And then you judge how it affects you, playing Wordle. But, um, but we think about, what do they say? Sometimes isolation Isolate, because you know, I just want to be alone, but it takes us away from community, for example. And all sorts of ways, leisure, travel, leading the good life. This begins, especially as we acquire additional resources. Molly and I noticed this when we got into our 30s. In our 20s, we didn't know there was a good life. Then our 30s, we had a little bit more money and we'd eat at better restaurants and we'd travel more and you know, maybe get a little bit better car, have one with air conditioning you know, and, and all these different things. And so 
you begin to, you, you start to live the good life and it just sort of sneaks up on you and you're not running the race in the way that you used to. I would like to encourage some of you to really think deeply about that point. Think deeply about is there any encumbrance that is keeping you from worship, it is keeping you from community, it is keeping you from obeying God, or it has taken you out of the mission of God and you're no longer running the race as part of the mission. Is that happening to you and if so, why? Think about that. We need to lay these things aside because we've got to finish the race. So, those heroes, these heroes, and then finally, that hero. So look at what it says in verse two. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When I was a miler, one of the things I learned about was the importance of the finish line. I had to stay focused on that and I had to run with endurance. Well, the Bible says that as a Christian, your focus needs to be a person. It needs to be that hero. It needs to be the Lord Jesus. In other words, your focus is not Mike Tilley as your pastor. Your focus is not some political leader. Your focus is not all the stuff you own. Your focus is on Jesus, and God calls you to focus on him. It says, looking to Jesus, He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. The idea of founder is that he is the, uh, if you think of the founder of our country, George Washington, you know, first in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of his countrymen. But it's somebody that does something first. And so you look at the life of Jesus and he's the one that paves the way for faith. In 1954, uh, up to that point, no human being had ever run a four minute mile. But in 1954, Roger Bannister ran a four-minute mile. He was the pioneer miler. He was the first one to run under four minutes. Now it happens all the time. But I can go back on YouTube, and I watch Roger Bannister run his four-minute mile. You can go back and watch that. I would say that as a runner, I am so inspired. I want to get back on that track because I watch how he did it. And when you read the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, I encourage you to read the story of Jesus on a regular basis because he's our Roger Bannister. He is our founder. He is the one that has, who by his life has modeled the faith. So he is our founder. And then secondly, the perfecter of our faith. And one of the things you need to realize about Jesus is that it says in this passage, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he... Uh, he endured all the suffering of the cross, and he, he did that for the joy set before him. In other words, the joy of you and me, the joy of pleasing his Father, the joy of bringing many sons to glory, and now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is not only your founder, but he is the perfecter of your faith. In other words, he is the source of your faith, that as you run the race, as you run that marathon race, there's those stations along the way where you get some cold water and it, it sustains you and it keeps you going. That's why we gather for worship, so that we can focus on Jesus. Don't let anybody take that away from you. That's why you read God's word, that's why you pray, that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper because it's there that our souls are fed. That's how we keep our eyes on Jesus, because it nourishes, it strengthens, it feeds 
our faith, and we're gonna do that in just a moment. Well, I'm gonna wind down right now because so much more I could say. This passage is really, really amazing. Those heroes, these heroes that we're running with, but most of all, that hero the Jesus, of Jesus who surpasses them all. Would you pray with me? Lord, we realize today how important it is for our Christian life to be focused on our Savior and to be focused on Christ. So would you this day feed and replenish and strengthen our souls for the coming years as a church and the coming years in our Christian life? Would you give us grace to run the race of faith, fixing our eyes on you? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.